John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Good job, Mrs. Francis. Good morning again. Um, so yeah, it's Advent. As we've been talking about, it's the Advent series. The Advent, the word Advent means coming or arrival. So this is a season where we look back at the first coming of Jesus. And it's a season where we long with eager expectation for his second coming, his second Advent. Uh, and for the next four weeks, um, but five services, because we have two on Christmas you know, this, the 23rd and 24th. For the next five services, we're going to be talking about a world in need of Emmanuel. That's kind of our Advent series title. A world in need of Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. A world in need of Emmanuel. The world at that time when Jesus arrived the first time was in need of God's presence. It was a world uh, filled with war and oppression and babies being killed and um, people hurting each other. Not unlike our time, not unlike the world in which we live that is in desperate need of God's presence. I I'm not going to say it's the, one of the most darkest times in, in human history, but it is certainly a dark time in human history when you look at the world around us. There are at least two wars going on, uh, two wars that we are aware of in the Middle East and in Europe that uh, are in front of us, but there are probably wars going on that are not in front of us on a regular basis because they don't have American interests there. On October 7th, we know that evil was on display in an unprecedented way. Not that brutality was done in an unprecedented way, but it was on display. It was on video. It was boasted about and bragged about in an unprecedented way. There are families in Israel still waiting to see if their uh, family members who were taken hostages will be released, or if they're alive, how badly they've been hurt. There are thousands of families in Gaza, Palestinian families, who lost loved ones, who are caught up in this war. There are uh, families in Russia and Ukraine who have lost loved ones, and families all over the world. There are mothers in Haiti giving their children mud pies to fill their bellies because they don't have access to food, because the supply is short, because borders are closed. It is a hard time in human history. 
In America, uh, recently uh, it was released that um, the suicide rates in, in 2022 were at an all-time high. Overdose fatalities have risen fivefold in the last two decades. In a recent poll, and this is just people being uh, subjective, right? This isn't really objective, but 68% of Americans said that this is the low, lowest point in our nation's history that they can remember. Again, not a very objective gauge as to you know, how hard it is, but it is at least subjective. It is them feeling this way. This is a dark time. This is a hard time. And so the answer, we know this, is not people in power because people, some of the most powerful people in the world, lack a moral compass. Don't know up from down. Call good evil and evil good. And we cannot depend on them. Some of the brightest minds in our world, in our universities, in science, also lack a moral compass. Sometimes out for selfish gain and sometimes just don't know because they don't have an ultimate authority, a true north guiding them. And so our hope, our greatest hope, our only hope is Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, yet, so many of us have been inoculated to this idea that God is with us. You know what I mean by inoculated? You get, you get just enough to be immune, enough to build up an immunity so it doesn't affect you, doesn't impact you. Well, this idea that God is with us, some of us have heard about this so often. Maybe we've gone to church all our lives. We, we, we talk about this. Oh yeah, God's here. God's with you. I'm praying God goes before you. But we're so used to that. We've heard it so much that it's not really impacting us. It's not affecting us. It's not changing us. It's not filling us with hope. It's like, yeah, 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 I know God's with me. But what I really need is, what I really need is. And so my hope this season is that the weight of Emmanuel would hit our souls in a fresh way, would fill our hearts in a fresh way. In the last two months, I have found myself asking the cliche question, God, where are you in this more times in the last couple months than probably the previous 20 years combined in my walk with Christ. God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? And there have been times just personally, like, God, where are you in my life? Like, what? I can sense you like I normally do. Where are you? And if you're here and you look at the world and you feel that way? God, where are you in this? Or you just look into your own soul and you see the, the, the loneliness, the, the, the betrayal from friends, uh, addiction in your family, and you're wondering, God, I need to feel your presence. Well, my prayer is that you would. My prayer is that over this month, we would be reminded that while we can't answer the question of why God is not fixing this or this in our timetable, at least we can remember that this brokenness, this darkness that surrounds us is precisely why Jesus came in the first place. Because without God being with us, we are lost. And this is what happens. And that's why he came down. That's why he came after us. Because he said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you to yourselves.
So let's pray as we begin. Lord, help us to feel the weight of Emmanuel. Help us to feel it. Help us to be in awe of it, to marvel at it, to be impacted by it, driven by it. Help us to, well, protect us. Protect us from the attacks from the devil that would have us distracted by all the activity of this season. Distracted by the consumerism, the materialism, the rushing around, the hurried pace, the people-pleasing, the temptation to think we have to say yes to every holiday party. God, protect us from that so that we can sit with you and marvel at what has happened, that you came, that you're with us, and that you're coming again. I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at some Christmas passages over the next few weeks. We're going to look at one passage from John, two from Matthew, and probably three from Luke over the next few weeks. We're just going to look at them. I don't even know if we're going to have main points. We're just going to look at them, see what God does in our hearts. Um, so let's start with the Gospel of John. John does not start the story of Jesus like Matthew and Luke do. Matthew and Luke start with the baby, the prophecy of the baby, the, the, the Mary and Joseph getting news from the angel, Gabriel. Um, but John doesn't start that way. John's gospel was probably the last one written in the 90s of the first century. By that time, Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, Mark's gospel were already in circulation uh, he would have known that Matthew was, was writing for the Jews to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He was the promised king from the line of David. That was Matthew's emphasis. And Luke's emphasis was to show that this good news was available to all peoples, Gentiles, not just Jews, but Gentiles and pagans and outcasts and prodigals. And so Luke included stories that Matthew didn't include. But John's gospel, his emphasis was meant to show that Jesus was divine, was to emphasize his deity, his godness. And so John starts the story of Jesus differently. He starts with this, in the beginning. That's how John starts, in the beginning. And he knew that his Jewish readers would think about another book of the Bible that started with in the beginning. Anybody want to guess? Genesis, yeah, Genesis. Genesis started with in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke the world into existence. So the Jewish readers would hear this phrase, and they would realize that John is not thinking about the beginning of this one particular story. He is talking about the beginning of everything. They knew that he would be saying, in the beginning of everything. That's how he starts the story of Jesus. The beginning of everything was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word, Word, is the Greek word logos, and it would be a very weighty term for both Jews and Greeks. For Jews, the word logos meant the, the Word of God, the expression of God. And they often used it as synonymous with God himself. The Word of God and God, because the Word of God was the power of God. God spoke all things into existence in Genesis. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be birds and fish and, and it happened. 
His word brought power, brought things into existence, and they understood that. But the Greeks, they also understood this word logos in a different way. For them, logos was this transcendent power that ordered everything in the universe, that brought perfect reason to the universe. It was beyond the um, human-like gods, like Zeus. Um, They were there as God, God-like creatures, but there was this logos that was beyond, more transcendent, that ordered everything. And so for John to use this word, he was saying to both Jews and Greeks reading this, I am going to tell you the story of the logos. And he says, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This logos, this, this, this uh, thing that ordered everything, and of course he's going on to talk about Jesus. So he's saying he was with God, but he was God. He was distinct from God, but he is God. And this is one of the references to the Trinity, that God exists as a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, but one God. It's mysterious. It's hard to explain. And there is no analogy that really does it justice. And I would caution any kids' teachers from trying to use an analogy because it um, ends up losing something of its mystery and and an important factor about the Trinity, how they all commune with each other, one God existing in three persons. But John is making it very clear that the story of Jesus begins at the beginning of everything because he is God. That's what he's trying to make clear. He is that logos. He's saying to the Greeks, you know that that thing that's beyond everything? This is Jesus. He's the logos. Now some try to lower Jesus and make him a created being. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will teach. They'll actually add an A. He was was, uh, a God. He's just like a a mini-God, a a created being, an angel-like creature, but not God-God. Muslims will call Jesus a prophet or a teacher, but he's a servant of Allah. I had a friend who just became a Muslim and went through a ceremony, and in that ceremony, part of the oath was, and Jesus is a servant of Allah. He's smaller than, he's subservient. But John is making it clear. No, 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 we believe, the Christian faith believes that Jesus is God. He's the beginning of everything. In fact, He continues, all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Apart from Jesus, nothing exists. Everything that exists was made through Jesus. He was there at the beginning. He was there at creation. He was there ordering everything. Holding everything together. Nothing came into the being that came in, nothing has come into being that came into being. Verse three. I'm sorry, verse four. In him was life, and life was the light of men. In him was life. The Greek word is zoe. Uh, There's another word for life that uh, indicates biological life. This word for life uh, is more uh, the, the principle of life, the quality of life, the essence of life. It's the life that even living beings are hungry for. You know what I'm saying? Like we can be alive biologically, but be hungry for life. Be hungry for that, that life that we're missing out on. Where's that? Is this what it's supposed to be? And Jesus says, no, there's more. In me is life. 
In me is the life you're looking for. It is the true life. Before we get our name. In him is life. And apart from him, the implication is, apart from him, there's death. There's a spiritual death. There's a lack of spiritual life apart from him. So he created all life biologically. He was there at the beginning. Humanity fell into sin, into spiritual death. We are wandering around. And Jesus is life and says, come to me for life. Apart from him, we're still wandering around in spiritual death. But in him is life. He makes us alive. In him is life. And life was the light of men. Again, this would echo back to Genesis. Darkness hovered over the earth, it said in Genesis. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And because of light, living things can live. Right? We need light to live. And spiritually, we need light of the gospel. We need light to shine into our hearts so that we see Jesus for who he is and what he accomplished for us and receive him as our life. We need his light to open our eyes to accept him as our life. Make sense? Apart from our eyes being opened, we are in darkness. Wandering around, spiritually dead, in darkness, not knowing that there's spiritual death. Not being able to see him for who he is. He's the source of light and life. And thankfully, he didn't stay up in heaven. He came down. That's what we're celebrating. Verse 4 continues, the light shines in the darkness. He didn't stay up there. He shone in the darkness. He didn't give up on the darkness. He didn't give up on the spiritually dead. He came after us. He shines his light in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, John says. That word for comprehend is also is also translated overcome. It can be used both, it was used both ways in the first century. And so trans, depending on your Bible translation, it might say overcome and it might say comprehend. Greek scholars debate about that, um, which is actually significant because it's possible that John wanted us to read both meanings into it because both are true. The darkness could not overcome Jesus. It couldn't stop him. They put him to death and he popped back up. But they also didn't comprehend him. They didn't see him for who he was. They didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't understand that this could be the Messiah. This could be God. They didn't grasp that. Bible teacher John Piper compares it to the word for grasp. You can grasp something violently. Or you can grasp something intellectually. Oh, I, I, I I can't grasp that. It's confusing to me. I can't quite grasp that. So it can be used both ways. And so is this Greek word. It can be used to overcome or to comprehend. And either way, uh, the, the darkness couldn't overcome him. They couldn't comprehend him. They couldn't understand him. Darkness couldn't see it. Verse 6, he shifts a bit. John shifts a bit to talk about John the Baptist. So a different John. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He, was, uh, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So this would be Jesus' cousin. Um, he shared that this is a time to repent and turn because the light has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn, turn. And then he said that about Jesus, behold the lamb. 
Look, there he is. And I think this is important for us because that's what we're called to do as Christ followers. To point to the source of light. He's the light. He's the light. This is, this is the time. Turn to him. We're walking in darkness. Look at the world. Look how dark it is. Look how broken it is. Now is the time. He is the life. He is the light. Go to him. Nothing else is working. Go to him. Nothing else can satisfy the voids in our soul. Go to him. And then John continues, verse 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Think about that. The one who created everything, he put all life into existence, and yet, as the source of true life, the world did not know him or receive him as a whole. His own, his own creation didn't receive him. His own people, the Jews, didn't receive him. His own hometown of Nazareth tried to kill him. And his own family, his siblings, thought he was out of his mind. They didn't receive him. Not until he rose from the dead. But even then, many, many, many still rejected, could not receive him. Now, you might be wondering, as I have wondered, how can somebody in darkness not know that a light has shined if, if light shines in the darkness? Like, if you go home and your power is out and the sun sets and it's dark, you know it's dark, and then if somebody shows up with a flashlight, you can tell that that's light. So how could you not know that that's light if Jesus is light shining? The only way I can understand that is if somebody was born blind and didn't know that other people see. I'm blind in one eye. I, I don't have, I can't, I don't see out of one eye. I wouldn't have known that most people see out of both eyes unless you told me. And I still don't even know if I believe it. It could be a big conspiracy trying to make me feel bad. Science teachers and everybody who says that normal humans see out of two eyes, I don't know for sure. It's not like if I had one arm, I can at least see that you guys have two arms. Oh, I'm missing something. But I can't see your vision, you know what I mean? I can't see that I'm missing something. And so if there was a doctor, a surgeon who came and said, I can fix that eye of yours, you just need to submit to my surgery, I would have to believe two things. I would have to believe, number one, that I'm missing out on something. And I not, might not believe that. And then I would have to believe, number two, that he has the power to give me what I'm missing out on. Make sense? So in a world of darkness, many are walking around in spiritual darkness and don't know that they're in darkness. And so if they don't realize it and don't want light to shine, they won't come to Jesus and if they don't believe that he is that source, that he is that life, then they also won't come. And many are able to numb that, that darkness through all kinds of ambitions and pursuits and pleasures and games and trinkets and toys. And then when we can't numb it anymore and we can't distract ourselves anymore, sometimes we chase something else and it's everything but Jesus because there is a real devil 
tempting us. No, 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 don't go to him. Don't go to him. Don't bow your knee at the cross. Go look in here. Go look in there. But, but, as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Many reject him, but those who did not, those who receive him, receive him. That's where we get that phrase, received Christ. Have you received Christ? That's where we kind of get that phrase from. Those who receive him. It's different than just believing, right? It's different than just believing uh, something about somebody. I, I, I can say, I, I believe in Michael Matt. I believe he's a good guy. I believe he plays the guitar. He sings pretty good. He's, I believe he's married to Jeannie. All those would be true. But that's different than I receive Michael as the source of my life. And that's where many people stop with Jesus. I believe he did this. I believe he was born. I believe he died. Maybe even I believe he rose from the grave. But they don't receive him as their source of life. Charles Spurgeon, who was a 19th century preacher in England, said this about faith. Faith is described as receiving Jesus. It is the empty cup placed under the flowing stream, the penniless hand held out for heavenly alms. You ever feel like that? The empty cup, penniless hand? It's just holding yourself out. Hey, fill me. Jesus, I receive you. I need you. That's what faith is. I can't do this. I can't fill myself. Your life, your light. Even to those who believe in his name, that was a phrase in the first century, that was a phrase often used to, it was an accounting phrase. It would be on documents, accounting documents, and it kind of had the idea of to the possession of. To the possession of. So as many received him and, and said, I'm your possession... So there's this great exchange happening. I receive you, your life, and I give you my life. I am now to your possession. You're my master. You're my Lord. He gave the right to become children of God. Adopted. Adopted into the family of God. Children, sons and daughters. A father now. Who's, who's tender and cares for us. And it's not to say that he doesn't love everybody in the world. But the way John uses this word, children, it is very specific. We can all be loved and we can all be creation, you know, parts of his creation, but not adopted children if we haven't received Christ. Just like I love all the kids in this church. But only three are mine. And if we adopt one down the road, then they'll be part of our family too. Now, Jess and I do not have the capacity to say, all kids are welcome in our home, in our family. We can't do that. God, the God of the universe, gets to say, all can receive me. To as many as received him. There's no limit. There's no point where he says, ah, that's enough. Muslim background. Jewish background, atheist, it don't matter. He says, as many 
has received him. The light shines in the darkness. And it doesn't matter what kind of darkness you've been engulfed in. The light shines and he says, you receive and you're in. And you're in. You're in my family. Born, born again. Not of the blood or will of the flesh, but of the will of God. That's born again, a new nature in us. This is big stuff. And this is, by the way, what we celebrate with baptism. We have our, our next baptism coming up on December 31st, our last one of the year. If you have made this great exchange, received Jesus, opened your penniless hands and said, I need you. Said, I'm an empty cup, fill me. My life is yours. Then that's what baptism is a declaration of. People have asked, why don't we do a whole lot of those um, repeat after me sinner prayer type things? And it's just because it's not in the Bible. Baptism is. And we just emphasize that. Sometimes we'll do that. You know, it's a good tradition. There's nothing wrong with it. But we just emphasize, hey, if you're ready to receive Christ or you have, the next step is you go public with it and you declare it through the sacrament of baptism. And it's just a, I don't even want to call this a plug for baptism because this is part of it. If you've received him, you declare with your baptism that I'm a child of God now. All right, let's just sum up where we are. What has John said? What has John laid out for us so far? He said that Jesus has created everything and has ordered everything. He said that Jesus is life for all men. He said that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus was rejected by most because they did not recognize him. And Jesus gives the right to become children of God to those who receive him. That's what John has laid out. Big God, creator God, in charge, ordered everything. He's the Lagos. And now, we're going to go to the last verse. I want you to feel the weight of this verse now. In light of all this, in light of who God is, the word of God, then John says something so remarkable. And this is what I don't want us to be inoculated to. Grasp this. Let this hit you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The word, the logos, the one in the beginning. He didn't stay far away. He came close, so close that he got in our skin. So close that he got in a womb. And he dwelt. That word dwelt is tabernacled. Another way to put it is tabernacled. It would definitely ring in the Jews' mind of the time when God made his presence tangible through a tabernacle that went through with the Israelites through the, um, the, the wilderness and then into the promised land. That's where they went, went to meet with God. It was set up in the camp. It would go with them. And then that gave way to the temple in Jerusalem. That's where God's presence was. That's where you go to meet with God. And so when John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's saying, now the temple has moved into human skin. That's what happened. That's the story of Jesus. The tabernacle, the temple, God's presence said, I'm still going to be tangible but I'm going to be tangible through a human, in human form. 
And John says, we beheld his glory. Some versions say saw it. But saw it, you could translate saw it like the president came to town and passed by in a motorcade. And I saw the president when I was a kid, when he came to town. And that's not the idea here. It's more like the president came to town, bought the house next door to you, and lived next to you for eight years while he was president. And then you could say as a kid, I saw the president growing up. Two different ways of seeing him, right? That's what John was saying. We lived with him. We took it in. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And so, maybe my main point, I added this in earlier, is simply that it was actually God who came to be one of us. Like, if we could feel that, right? It was actually God. It was the God of the universe who came down. And I think this is why we have to be really careful how we talk about Christmas. Especially to our kids and each other and maybe even to ourselves. Because sometimes we put so much emphasis on like his birthday and you know with kids we're going to sing happy birthday and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But I've talked to kids in here who believe that Christmas is about Jesus' birthday and then when we get to the part where about him being God, wait, Jesus is God? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that why you want to get baptized, right? Like, so you, we understand birthdays and we want to make it understandable and relatable, but sometimes you can miss out on the mystery of what happened. This is why we've tried to emphasize in our home, like, yeah, he was born, but he doesn't really have a birthday. Like, not in that sense. And, and it's semantics. I know you could argue it's semantics. We just want to confuse them just enough to go, wait, what is this story about? It's about the God who always existed. It's about the God who didn't need to be created, who got into a baby. It's about the God who loved us so much that he said, I'm not going to leave this world in darkness and in death. I'm stepping in to a baby so that that baby can grow up and be crucified on a cross. And then, when everybody thinks it's over, that baby come out of the tomb as a victorious conqueror over death and sin and the grave. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Nobody's offended about Jesus' birthday because we celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday and Abraham Lincoln's birthday. I haven't met somebody who's offended that we believe that Jesus was born, but it's when we talk about him being God. Just recently, I was talking to a friend who was talking about his revelation that there's a thing out there that created everything, and he kept calling it it, it, it. And I was like, you know, it has a name. What do you mean? It's Jesus. And their response was, no, don't give me that. It's bigger than him. Because that's our natural response. Oh, no, it's too small. He was born. He's a baby. We celebrate him. We, we, we have pictures of him being a baby. But no, he's bigger than that. That's the mystery that he's so big that he got in a baby. That's what should blow our minds. So I'm going to ask if we could do something. If we could um, hit the lights for a moment. As best we can. I'm just going to have a moment of just reflection. It's going to feel dark. It should feel dark. Don't, don't mess with your phones. Don't mess with your phones. Don't talk about the darkness. Just try to 
help us add darkness to this. Jeff, if you could put a, um, actually, never mind. I'll, I'll use this, the slides. So spiritual darkness is something that not everybody's aware that they're in. But I wanted us to be physically dark so that we just have some space to contemplate um, without eyes watching us. If you see this candle in the middle of the stage where we, we lit earlier, this Advent candle, right, this, is, this is Jesus shining a light in the darkness. This is the birth. This was the life of Jesus. This was him saying, I'm life and light. And some people said, no, 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 I can't receive it. It's too, it, it seems too small. It's a baby. It's a poor family. I can't receive it. But again, he's opening eyes to see him, and that might be some people here. So I just want to lay out three implications for us. First thing is that if God became one of us, then that means some of us need to receive him as life for the first time. He's not too small. It's not bigger than that. If you're here and you've grown up hearing about Jesus and you, you know the story and you know the answers, but you've never received him, make today the day. Make today the day. And others of us, we need to be reminded that he understands your pain. He understands what you're going through. He understands that you sometimes feel distant and he wants to meet you there. He wants to meet you there. He's not here anymore in bodily form, but he is because <laughs> he's put his spirit in us. And so if you have a, a, a season right now where you're like, God, I need to feel you more. He wants to answer that prayer. Romans 8 says that the spirit testifies with our spirits that we're children of God. And if that's you, just say, God, I need to feel you. And last implication is that he wants to send you out as his light in a dark world. When we trust in Jesus and he gives, puts his life in us, he's also putting his light in us. And he called his people the light of the world. And so he puts his spirit in us so that we can go out into the dark world, many of us, and we can multiply this light and share this light with others so that more and more and more. And this is how God is Emmanuel even now. Through his church, his people who are faithfully living, not by putting the light under a basket, right? He warned about that. He said, no, no, let your light shine. This is why we're taking that Christmas offering so that we can let the light shine, use our resources to get this light to the darkest parts of the world. This is why you have an opportunity in the lobby to sponsor a child and, and get a gift for somebody locally so that we can be a light. This is why we say, hey, bring somebody to a Christmas service so that they can hear the message of this light. Go to their house. Have lunch. Share with them your story. Maybe instead of sending out a hundred Christmas cards, send one. But write your testimony in it to one person who God's putting on your heart what God's done in your life. So, let me just ask, by a show of hands, even though we can't see those hands and we don't need to, 
How many of you would say, yeah, I need Jesus to send me out. I need to submit to that and be sent out this season. If you're like, yeah, I just feel it. I feel compelled. I need to go. Just put your hand up. It's, it's, God can see it. I can't see it, but God can see it and go, yeah, yeah. It's just you committing like, yes, Lord, I want to go bring your light. This isn't just about me. This is about me sharing this. All right. How many of you would say, yes, I need Jesus to reveal himself, to make himself present to me in a greater way this season? Because I'm hurting and I'm suffering and I'm struggling. Put your hand up. Again, I can't see, but this is just, it's an act of faith. It's a, something about physically putting our hands up. God can see. And then lastly, how many of you would say, I need to receive Jesus for the first time? Because I never did. You put your hand up. You're just recognizing that Jesus died and rose again on your behalf. And he's made a way for you to be forgiven and declared righteous. And if that's you, if you just raised your hand, again, let's get you baptized. I'll talk to you after service. Come see me. But I'm going to call the band up now. We're going to end with one, one song or a medley of songs that is just a focus on our need for Emmanuel, the good news that he's come, and the good news that he's coming again in a greater way. So can we stand?